You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Rated PG-13. Empire. Hello and welcome to my podcast, sponsored by Lono Coffee. Visit LonoCoffee.com and use promo code COFFEE2020 for a discount. Today, I have a special guest, ESPN's Mina Kimes. We're talking about the Washington football team, a national impression of where this team is headed, and also about Sunday's game against Seattle. She's great, you'll enjoy it. And then I wrap it up with a few nuggets of information. It's not Therapy Thursday, which is a good thing for you, but I know the topics you want addressed, so I touch on those here, from the GM search to Dwayne Haskins, and I also talk a little bit about Cam Curl. Don't forget, you can watch Mina on ESPN's NFL Live every weekday, as well as numerous other ESPN shows. Follow her on Twitter at Mina Kimes, M-I-N-A-K-I-M-E-S, and you can read my work on ESPN.com. On Friday, we'll take a look at the Seattle and Carolina teams that made the playoffs with a losing record and how that compares to Washington. And now, here's my conversation with ESPN's Mina Kimes. Partly, I want to have you on because just to talk about Seattle and about this team, but also because one of the things, and I told you this in, a, in an email, but for people listening, one of the things I always like about watching you is you kind of remind me how you're supposed to have fun covering the NFL. And so I just, I, I want to thank you for reminding people that this is a game. So, you know, I do appreciate that. So I think you bring a nice little joy to the screen that and knowledge, but the joy I think is also infectious. So I, I hope you, and it seems like you're enjoying yourself as much as anybody I've seen out there. Well, I would say um, for the first time in a long time, I think Washington football fans are feeling a little go. bit of joy watching their team as well. And um, it's a great story, you know, it it's is. been, and it's fun because sometimes when teams are bad, frankly, on our show or my podcast, we don't talk about them right. and we have reasons to talk about this team. And I love that because it's getting, it gets tiresome talking about the same teams over and over. It does. And it's tiresome with this franchise talking about the same story over and over. This is a different story. It's very unique. And I, you know, I, I was, I, I did want to start with by asking like, how do you perceive this franchise now, even compared to a month ago? You know, I, there's so many places to go with this. I look at them and I see a lot of hope. Like, I, I think this is the franchise. It's a team. For, well, the franchise is separate from the team because the franchise, as we know, has right. been hopeless for a very long time <laughs> yes. for myriads, um, starting all the way at the top. But it, the franchise, it feels like they finally have some people in place who not only are building a good football team, but also a good culture. Um, the coaching staff from top to bottom. And, and this really connects to the football conversation because, you know, Ron Rivera is a great leader. He's beloved. But I actually think both coordinators, Scott Turner and Jack Dalby, have done a phenomenal job with what's, you know, what appeared to be a pretty limited set of resources. Um, so that's exciting. And then 
I think from a football perspective, fans should feel hope because there are players who are going to be on this team for a long time who are playing at a high level, right? Like sometimes you have a right. team that's all in on one season and you've got guys who are going to be free agents who are old or whatever, who are, and you really, if you feel like, okay, this is it, this is our opportunity. Washington is not like that. Like this is a team with a lot of exciting young players, a lot of players I, I, I wasn't aware of, like, I, I want to say a few weeks ago, I can't remember, maybe it was a, it was not Detroit. I don't know. It was during win streak. I was watching one mm -hmm. of the games and look, when we cover the, the sport nationally, we don't know every player, right? right? So I watched it and I'm like, who's that? Say who's Cameron Curl? Like, he's not <laughs> good. And yeah. I'm watching them all. This was like three weeks ago because I tweeted about it. And I was like, one amazing name, two, yes. this, this player. And then I look him up and he's a seventh round draft pick. So when you have seventh round draft picks who are surprising with upside, you're doing something right. Yeah. And you know, it's funny because um, I think it was today that on Get Up, Dominique Foxworth was talking about the Super Bowl window opening for this team next year. So it's like, this has taken a massive leap. Are you going that far just well, yet? It, it all depends on whether or not you find the quarterback. Because right. as Dominique correctly pointed out, um, when you have players, like good players on rookie contracts everywhere else in your football team, it shrinks your margin of error. That's phenomenal. But if you don't have a quarterback, um, you're still going to struggle to compete at the highest level. Like a team without a good quarterback with like, you know, Alex Smith, the way he was playing before he got hurt again, like competent quarterback play, right? A team with a quarterback like that and a great defense can win games, but you're not going to win a Super Bowl. They need a good right. quarterback to win the Super Bowl, and that's still an open question. It is. And you brought you also brought up because, you know, I'm guessing at your core, you're a writer and that's what you rose up in this business. So when you look at the story, what are the stories that interest you the most? If you said I can do one story on this franchise, where would you go? Oh, boy. Um, I, well, it, the story of the team is the defense, frankly, mm -hmm. although, like I said, I think the coordinators done a really good job on that offense. And um, I'm I'm right about very few things, but I was high on Antonio Gibson for the draft. And so I've, I've been delighted because uh, he's a very fun player. I didn't anticipate he'd be so good running between the tackles, but that's a whole other right. thing. But the, the story of the team is the defense. And to me, it's a very interesting case study in like how defenses make the leap because they get the San Francisco comp a lot because this is a team, obviously, right. as you know, that invested so much draft capital. And then all of a sudden, Chase Young comes along and the hope is he's going to have that Bosa effect, right? I'm sure you guys have heard or said that a thousand times. <laughs> well, about, a, about a million times. About a million times. Yes. But honestly, you know, yeah. John, it doesn't always happen. It doesn't. No, it doesn't. And, and um, I would argue from watching the football team that Chase Young has not actually been the best player on the defensive line. Uh, he's the hot commodity and the guy we talk about on television, but Jonathan Allen's been better. Uh, he's Montez been Sweat, really good. He's been white and so yeah. i think the story is like okay how do putting how do how does the defense make that leap what kind of players does it take and what kind of coaching does it take and then what happens right. how do they impact each other to me that's what has set this team apart this year yeah and it's i'm it's funny that you bring up jonathan allen because i've been just when you go back and watch games especially during this win streak his play has been elevated and it's been, I mean, even the, the first half of that Niners game, Chase Young made these huge plays. Jonathan Allen was in the backfield every other play. 
He's a monster. And he wasn't great last year. That's what's so no. crazy. Like, I know. these guys were here. And they I just know. weren't that good. And, and, and they weren't good at stopping the run. Like, they weren't good at – they were not above average at anything, really. I think and Jack Del Rio has made a huge difference. Yes, totally. He's a really good defensive coach. He is. Who do you like, then, to close us out in the NFC East? Do you – where are you putting your money? I'm putting it on Washington. The quarterback question is concerning, but – New York, who is the greatest competition right now, also has a quarterback question with Daniel Jones being limited with injury. Um, Jones in particular, like his game is so predicated on his athleticism that even if he can play, if he can't move, I think this team, the the, the Giants will have a hard time competing. Um, I, I think I saw, I don't know when this is coming out, you know, Alex is day to day and all that. Right. Um, but I think the having a being a game up gives you an advantage. You probably will end up only need needing to win one of them. And then looking at the schedule, it seems favorable. Right. And I think like I and I would agree with you on that because I we're going to turn to Seattle now, but is that's a really tough test for them, even if Alex Smith is playing. Are you buying the Seattle defense improvement? That's a great question because it's it, this Seattle and the last few weeks, we're talking about the uh, the win streak of Washington. Um, the defense has improved a lot over the last few weeks in Seattle, but it's also a very uh, good example of needing to look at the competition that they've been right. playing. Um, of course, the Jets, you know, the Eagles, uh, the Giants, they weren't able to do much on offense. They won with their defense. I do, I do think they've improved. In large part, John, because guys have gotten healthy. Uh, you know, Seattle, their defense was putting up some historically bad numbers, but they were also missing a ton of really key players. Jamal Adams for a stretch. Shaquille Griffin, who's their number one quarterback, yeah. was out for a lot of those really bad games. Um, Quentin Dunbar is going to come back. And then, of course, they made the trade for Carlos Dunlap, uh, giving them something of a standard pass rush, which had been lacking. Now it, they're finally getting healthy at the right time, knock on wood, for Seattle. So I think – while this is never going to be Seattle's defense, is never going to be like Washington's are never going to be a top 10 defense. They can at least, you know, approximate average level play down the stretch. So and cause Carlos Dunlap's made a big difference since he came over. Where have you seen it the most is cause it's also like, I, I think that it seems like there's a trickle down effect with him as well. Yeah. Not having a blitz every day. Yeah, it helps. I mean, Jamal Adams is the team's leading pass rusher and, you know, people are divided about how good he's been and, and whether it's worth right. the trade, but it's helpful when you actually have someone on your defensive line who's able to win uh, pass rush opportunities the way Dunlap has in key moments. Um, so, so he's made a difference. I think in the Washington game in particular, Seattle actually has a leg up because the strength of this team is, and has been for a long time, the linebacker position. Uh, right. KJ Wright is unbelievable at sniffing out screens. Bobby Wagner is one of the best linebackers in football. Last I love years. Bobby Wagner. He's yeah. so good, man. So, and, and, you know, Washington depends so much on that short passing game and the run game. I actually think that lines up pretty well for Seattle. And, and I would agree with you too, with there too. And Damon Snacks Harrison seems to be kind of coming along with there too. One of the best nicknames of all of all sports, but w w with their pass rush though, cause they it's, there's been a distinct change. Is it just because of Dunlap? Is it because other guys were healthy or why has it improved? I mean, so, I mean, it's like, I think it's like what, like 24 sacks in six games or something like that. Yeah. I would say again, competition is heavily factoring okay. into that, but I also yeah. think you're seeing something you, you've seen in Washington, which is um, 
I like to call it the force multiplier effect. When you have an elite player on the defensive line, you see it, the, the trickle effect on the other defensive lineman because it opens up opportunities for, in Seattle's case, on the inside, Jaron Reed and Puna Ford, who's just like a bowling ball of terror on the field um, and is so disruptive on the inside. And then uh, Benson Mayo has been getting some sacks as well. It's just not having having one better player, you know, in Dunlap's case on that line really helps the rest of the team. Let's turn back to the Seattle offense. It <laughs> seems like for a while it was let Russ cook. And now it's like, what is going on? And I know Carson's back. How much does that help? I and mean, where do you, where are you at with them, with that offense right now? So I was a, a let Russ cook enthusiast because I've, <laughs> I, I, he was I felt he was cooking and I also felt over in recent years, but especially in 2018, a little bit less. So last year, they were too dependent on the run on early downs, which, you know, like, look, if you're good at running the football, like Washington's very good at running the football, run the football, um, especially if you don't have a quarterback. But if you've got a quarterback who can throw it like Russell Wilson, you know, why are you burning these early downs? So when they went away from that, it was great. But then defenses made some adjustments to it. And you really saw that, for example, in the Giants game where the Giants basically sold out against the pass, like the deep you're playing a ton of um, too high coverage, basically daring Seattle to run the ball. What's the impact that Carson has had just being back and being available? Chris Carson is by far the best running back on the team. He's honestly, I think, a pretty underrated running back as far as across the NFL goes, right? right? And there is a comfort level, I think, in that offense, um, not necessarily running it as much on early downs the way they were in, say, 2018, occasionally to the frustration of Seahawks fans. But just going to him in key situations, uh, situationally, in order to alleviate some of the pressure on Wilson, because it got to a point, I think, during Seattle's losing streak or when they were losing games here and there, where defenses really didn't respect the run, were dropping their safeties, you know, all the way back in coverage, taking away that deep ball, which is Russell Wilson's most dangerous weapon. And Seattle didn't really have a change up. Um, so I think it's it's not that they need to run the ball more. It's a combination of things. I think also having a quick passing game helps with that. But his presence on the field just gives them another weapon in their arsenal that was missing when he was out. And then speaking of that deep ball, and we can end on this one too, with because DK Metcalf has been such a presence for them. How have teams adjusted to him? Because are are they play, are you seeing more zone? And it is that that which is what you're talking about with the safety. But what what do you see in there? Yeah, manning up on DK Metcalf doesn't usually go well. No, uh, for no. DK. Although I will say again in that Giants game. Um, where Seattle lost to New York, and it's a good example, I think, of where a defense was not playing the run at all. Uh, James Bradbury, who's of course been terrific this right. season, uh, did a really fantastic job on DK. Jalen Ramsey, who's a, I think maybe one of the three best cornerbacks in the NFL, right? Uh, did a good job on DK. I don't think Washington has the horses. I don't think they have that guy. Um, that is certainly not the strength of that defense. Uh, so I think. They're going to have to probably give whichever corners on him some help. Uh, and, you know, it's no secret that for Washington, pressure is going to be everything in this right. game. And fortunately, that is the biggest mismatch for the football team, fortunately for Washington, not for Seattle, because the Seattle offensive line, while improved, is still not the strength of the team by any means. 
and, and that's you know the 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 thing with two with DK because he can change it like that. When when he came out, did you know? I mean, you were if I remember, you were pretty high on him. Well, I remember the reaction. Yes, the reaction was famous. But um, you know, so has he been what you thought he would be? He's been better than I thought he would be. I, I like the pick because of the value, frankly. The fact that he was dropping, dropping. I was like, all yeah. right, you know, this guy, the upside is so insane just athletically. You got to take him here because how many guys who are six foot four run like that? But, you know, what, what I saw. What about his three cone drill? I know. But what I saw of him in college, forget the three cone drill, he had a very limited route tree. And, yeah. that, you know, he, he had a lack of production for a number of reasons, primarily the injury. But, he also really like ran go routes and slants, you know? And, and so yeah. you've seen incredibly rapid development from him in Seattle in terms of just what he's capable of. Um, and it's been, I mean, he, he by all accounts, his work ethic is kind of unparalleled, but the fact that he's become such a complete receiver, it's not just the route tree too, John, like the li- he does like all the little things that make wide receivers great. Like the little, push-offs the body control yeah. always you know getting his hands in the right position I mean he, he's become a really remarkable player using leverage and I wouldn't I did not see him being one of the 10 best receiver you could, I would say he's higher at this point 10 best receivers yeah. in the NFL um but like you know what I didn't see Terry McLaurin being I was just gonna say I was gonna ask you because special so yeah it's it's a fun one for that reason because you have two young receivers who are going to be around for a while, who you did not yeah. expect to be where they're at after two years. And DK has the benefit of playing with Russell Wilson. Like imagine how great Terry McLaurin could be if y'all yeah. find a really great quarterback, because he has arguably been held back um, by his passers. And and so that it's, that's very exciting for, because to find a true number one, like a true X receiver like that, it, it's, 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 it's amazing. Yeah. It and is. both these teams have them. And I think you hit the work ethic too that they both have also trickles down. So that's they a did good the same thing. John, I forgot yeah. they both did the same thing where they tried to recover the, or they both uh, the fu- the, made the get tackles, the tackle the guy. Yeah. yeah. I mean, and, and it was a little harder, but it was a little bit harder. But but the one thing I like about Terry too is like the, the game before he's blocking a defensive end for Cincinnati, yeah. not just getting in his way, he is staying with him and blocked him. I mean, it yeah. was a legit block. And it's like, you know, not many receivers are willing to do, could go that far like he is. And I think DK has those qualities too. They're fun to watch. So Mina, I appreciate you coming on. I, I really do. Thanks for, thanks for joining me and enjoy watching you. I uh, that NFL live show. You guys have a lot of fun on there and that's fun to see. Appreciate it. Looking forward to this game. After this break, I'll be back with a few nuggets of information. What's up with the GM search? It's almost that time when you put your name in a grid and hope that your box hits the final score. But you don't have to wait until February to start winning. With Boxes, you can play box pools every day for every game. Boxes is completely free to play and you can win big. Washington football fans who download the app from the App Store or go to Boxes.com, that's B-O-X-I-Z.com, and use our code KIME20 can enter our contest where the lucky winner with the final score of the Seahawks-Washington game will receive $100. We'll have new games every week and incredible prizes in the playoffs and for the big game that will include tickets to games next year when fans can finally return in 2021. So go to Boxes.com for more information or download the app now. B-O-X-I-Z. Use the code KIME20 
when you sign up and when you enter our contest for the Washington-Seattle game. It's free for you and your friends to get in and win. Boxes, it's anyone's game. Welcome back. Let's get to it. Albert Breer from Sports Illustrated had an item the other day about Washington possibly looking to hire GM from the outside. Now, I will say that's not a big surprise because that was the talk all of last offseason. It kind of got it kind of got shelved um, around the draft or just after the draft. But that's always been a feeling that has been there. So it's not a huge surprise. But he did one of the names he named was former Washington defensive back Martin Mayhew. He also mentioned Ryan Cowden, Tennessee VP of player personnel, and Joe Shane, the assistant general manager in Buffalo. One thing they all have in common, they share the same agent as Ron Rivera and have ties to him. Shane works for Brandon Bean, who was with Carolina for Rivera's first three seasons. He trusts, he trusts Bean. Cowden was with Rivera in Carolina for five years. Now, Mayhew didn't work with him, but again, same agent. I think if Rivera had his druthers, he'd hire a GM and have Kyle Smith continue to oversee the scouting department. That worked last year. Smith and his staff have done a terrific job restocking this roster. One reason Rivera wanted this job was the young talent he felt already was in place. Smith and his group did an excellent job last offseason as well. Rivera has been asked about him and his comments at times have been muted. I do believe they get along by all accounts. And the, the process worked very smooth throughout the draft, throughout free agency, and in the offseason. I also think what Rivera really wants is someone he can trust, someone he has known a while. He's huge on that. A GM's role is more than just getting players. It's overseeing an operation. And in this case, it would be serving as a buffer for the coach in many instances. For example, if there's an issue with a player, the GM can handle it and give Rivera the Cliff Notes version. Instead of a coach being bothered with it for an hour, he can get the five or 10 minute summation from a general manager. If an agent calls a complaint, that's another thing that the GM would handle. Right now, a lot of that goes to Rivera. It can be distracting. The GM has to be able to tell him stuff he also doesn't want to hear. So it must be somebody he trusts. I will say with Kyle Smith, the one thing that you always hear about him, very straight shooter, definitely not a yes man. Not afraid to, if, if something's not right, he's not afraid to say it. That's what I've always heard about him. Rivera has the power here, so he will make the decision. Owner Dan Snyder, I've always been told, loves Kyle Smith, and I think Snyder understands there'd be backlash if they let him leave. They let Sean McVay get away. They let John Schneider get away way back when. If he doesn't, and if, if Smith doesn't get the GM job, then I can see another team calling. If Washington keeps winning, Rivera gets more ability to sell such a move to Snyder. He also, may, he also might view Smith as needing a mentor for a few years because Smith is relatively new in his role. And it does take a while to build up certain things and build up that trust and, and get that kind of um, experience. But keep in mind, Smith's dad was a GM. That's his mentor. It'll be interesting to see how it plays out. Smith is a valuable commodity. He and his staff have done a very good job. I do think Smith would make a strong GM. I think it would be a mistake to let him leave. And if they bring a GM over him, bring a GM in over him, he'd have a choice to make. Now, I'll also say, listen, there are a lot of smart people in the NFL. So as I think it would be a mistake to let Kyle Smith leave. But I think you also have to always say, what do you do to replace that person and what's the plan? There are more people in this league who are capable of doing a very good job. I also think that they have one in their building right now. In the past, um, Smith was not a hot commodity. He doesn't have an agent, and the team wasn't a success. So you're not going to be – you, you become a difficult sell 
to to a team's owner. Um, after a couple strong drafts and a team that improved in one year, I could see him drawing attention now or within a year. He doesn't play the media game, so his name is often left off of various lists. What you'll see, some of those initial lists, sometimes it's guys doing their, their sources a favor. And not always, but definitely sometimes. You know, and some, not again, not always, but definitely, that definitely happens. With various ex-Washington coaches spread around the league, he will attract notice at some point. Smith is respected by those who have coached here. I know that for a fact, by multiple coaches who have coached here. And I've heard from some former Washington employees who found it odd that when Rivera's had a chance to really praise the scouting staff, he hasn't done so. I don't know the reasoning behind that, so I'm not going to speculate. But again, I have been told that those guys, that it's not like there's some big falling out between Rivera and Smith. That's not the case at all. I just think that a lot of that with Rivera, he really puts a big emphasis on trust. It's why he's surrounded. He's got 12 ex-Carolina coaches on this roster. There are a few guys already in the scouting staff in the front office that he's brought in. So I think that, as much as anything, plays a big role in any sort of decision. I don't get the sense that the situation around Dwayne Haskins has changed a whole lot or that he made some strides that have, strides that have forced them to maybe rethink his future or what they would expect from him in the future. It's going to take a long time with him because the stuff they needed him to fix isn't done overnight and it isn't even done in two months. You don't go from not doing a whole lot in terms of preparation from what they wanted and what previous staff wanted in those areas and then you do it for a little bit and then you, you don't, you're not going to get that instant improvement. That's not how it works. It will take a sustained effort for a long period of time for Haskins to reap the benefits. He was raw. He really needed to go somewhere he could sit and learn and copy habits for probably two years before playing. Get to know things inside and out. Go to the field with a much deeper comfort comfort level in what you're doing, what you're calling, what you're seeing. It's not just about how he's throwing the ball. We know he can throw the ball. That's not the typical route for a first rounder, but it is what needed to happen. Again, Sunday, we saw his arm. We already knew he had a strong one. He can make plays because of it. And when he steps into those passes, like, man, it's fun to watch. But then there are other plays that you still see some of those same sloppy mechanics. The near interception, he's dropping the elbow and feeling some pressure. He didn't have to fall back, but he dropped the elbow, the ball sails. And even on that one, you have McLaurin, you got to put a little bit more touch on that ball. You know, there's a play in the red zone where Steve McLaurin sets a pick for Stephen Sims. He's wide open, running out to the flat. That should have been an easy touchdown. Didn't look at him. And so those are things that he's fallen back, and he almost made another bad mistake on that pass. Again, you see some good things, and I think the, the fact that he came in, led a nice drive on that first drive in the second half, that was key. I also think that Dwayne Haskins is somebody who's much better going into a game starting and having prepared like a starter, which you should do every week, man. Listen, that should be an every week thing. But I know that from having watched him that he seems to be more comfortable starting a game versus coming in in relief. Um, I think getting, whether it's the rhythm, how he feels, the comfort level, the confidence, you, 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 he's just somebody who needs to have that. I'm not telling you to write him off. I'm also not going to sell you false hope. I'm sharing reality. I don't know where he, I don't know that this is going to change things for him. Alex Smith is certainly not the long-term answer here. I think the quest for that guy will continue this offseason. If Haskins wants to be that person, he's going to have to keep grinding, focusing in as much on the game preparation as anything, and then show that on the field he has adapted what he has learned. That's how he can convince him. Now he does have a chance. If he, can, if he plays again, he's got a chance to show that he has improved in those areas. 
But again, it's not something that was ever going to happen in a short period of time. What they want them to do, it takes a long time to establish those habits and then, then to transfer those habits to the field. So it's going to take time for him. I still think they're going to be looking hard at other options in the offseason. One guy I loved watching is seventh-round pick Cam Curl. I'm guessing you have as well. And I was going to mention this anyways, but Ron Rivera brought it up in his Wednesday presser about him. Had there been a normal draft process, Curl likely would have gone a few rounds higher than the seventh round. The problem for him is that he played multiple spots. You get labeled as a jack-of-all-trades, maybe a master of none. But his versatility is an absolute strength. And the other part of his game that would have impressed teams during that process is his smarts. Had more teams had a chance to meet with him in person, he's not there in the seventh round. He comes from a military family. I've heard good things about his family. He works hard, and those close to him say his football IQ is off the charts. That comes from film study. It is not, that doesn't come natural. natural. It is a work ethic thing. I think it's safe to say that we are seeing that. He's not your typical box safety either. He defended a quick out the other day against a receiver where you just don't see many box safeties being able to do that, certainly not Landon Collins. In this play, he used his corner skills. He played some of that at Arkansas and has helped him be patient and good with his feet. That's how he broke up that pass. The receiver comes at him. It's about five yards off the line inside. The receiver stems to the outside. Curl doesn't move. Keeps his feet even, keeps his body even and square. And when the receiver breaks outside, Curl breaks with him, helps deflect the pass, broke it up. Just a very nice play. Just an example of the kind of plays that make him a little bit different. The question will be what happens in 2021 when Landon Collins returns. He really isn't cuttable this offseason with a $13.8 million cap hit. I'll be honest, it would be tough for me to move Curl out of this role if that's how they see him. When I have asked people about him before, they always viewed him in the role that he has. But the question now I think we're going to ask in the offseason is, could he transition to free safety? I used to say no, because that's what I knew is they saw him in this role. But after watching him and the way he moves and anticipates how physical he is, how he reads situations, and how he does his job, he's where he needs to be and when. Maybe he could. I haven't talked to anyone there about this aspect, so it's just me wondering. I, keep, I will have those conversations once the season ends. Let's get through the regular season. If, there's a play, if they're in a playoff game, we'll get through that. And then those questions will start coming up. I, I do keep seeing people wanting to move Landon Collins to linebacker. I say no, no, no. I don't know why people think that's an, that he can automatically play there. He's a box safety, and playing linebacker is much different, especially for what they would want and need. I don't see how that solves anything for them. The solution is to find legitimate help, not experiment with a guy coming off an injury who has never played the position, who is entering his prime. Now, could he be a big nickel? Yeah, he could play that role too. I think what they need, though, is a legit inside middle linebacker. I know they've been pleased with Bostic at times, but I think they want to upgrade one of those spots. They like Cole Holcomb. They're not going to bump him out of there. Um, so I don't. I just don't see it. Maybe they, again, maybe they could use Collins as a big nickel back. I don't know. That's the way they were using Curl initially. What I do know is it will be an off-season topic, and I also know that Curl is a lot of fun to watch. You've heard me talking about Lono Coffee for a couple months now. Let me tell you a little bit about who they are and what they're about. 
Lone Oak Coffee is based in the Shenandoah Valley, just a nice bunch of people who are open for business during this trying time. Just look at their website, loneoakcoffee.com, and what do they highlight? Their core values of quality, family, transparency. They work with co-op farmers from all over the world to source their beans. They also support small farmers to find the right beans. During this pandemic, one of my saving graces has been grinding my beans from Lone Oak Coffee and taking a few minutes before the day to savor the coffee, get my mind right. Put a little Jazz or Frank Sinatra or Louis Armstrong on in the background, it's even better. I've enjoyed all their blends, but among my favorites, the Ethiopian Guji, love the berry flavor, the Mexican Chiapas, and their house blend. Start your day off right with Lone Oak Coffee. Visit LoneOakCoffee.com, that's L-O-N-E, O-A-K, coffee.com. Use promo code COFFEE2020 for a discount. You can thank me later. Well, that's it for this episode. Thank you very much to Mina Kimes for joining me, and thank you for listening. Keep supporting our sponsors, especially Lono Coffee. I'll be back with another episode after Washington's game against Seattle. Another big game in December. Who'd have thunk it? Talk to you next time.